0: hello everyone and welcome back to climbing the ivy on the fan side network this is your host alex pat and on this show we have a very special guest we have cory friedman from cubs insider and host of the cubs related podcast he is filling in for adam this week and we're very happy to have him he does great work over with the cubs related podcast be sure to check that out Corey, welcome to the show
1: Hello, hello. Happy to be talking Cubs baseball, as I said before we jumped on, especially when they won the series that we happen to be talking about.
0: Absolutely. So far, so good, aside from one game in the second half. I know it's only been six games, but they're five and one so far. They just took two or three from the Reds. Uh, So let's just get right into it, because there is a lot to address. And luckily, this time, there's a lot of good on previous shows, We've had a lot of negative things to talk about. I'm sure you could relate on your show uh, with this roller coaster season. The first thing I wanted to get into, I wanted to talk about Yu Darvish. He had another fantastic game today. Six innings, two minutes, no runs. Pretty identical to his last start against the Pirates, Corey. I'm seeing a different Yu Darvish. What do you think?
1: Absolutely. I mean, and it, it seems and this was kind of the the talk on, on Twitter amongst the beat writers and a lot of the fans that it, it's all about that fastball. And he had mm-hmm. great command of that fastball on Wednesday afternoon. And it's easy just from a visual, you know, you can dig into the numbers and, and a lot of this would bear out too. But just watching the games, we've all watched him for over a year now. And you can just tell he's a different person when he's able to locate that fastball. We know you can watch all the GIFs, you can watch all the highlights of his breaking stuff and just how nasty it is. We all know that. And it all gets set up and infinitely better when he's able to command that fastball. And especially when he's able to dial it up like he did at the end of the game on Wednesday in his last batter to Puig. You know, he reaches back, throws 98. We've seen him do that before, but he he definitely looks like a better guy. And the results are following
0: he was at 83 pitches today when Joe Maddon decided to pinch hit for him when his spot was due up. I wasn't exactly sure why he didn't let him go another inning. Maybe yeah. it was heat. Maybe he was fatigued. Maybe he was just emptying the tank. What do you think?
1: I was was perusing Twitter just now. It's like a few hours after the game, and I, I haven't seen anybody specifically address that. I I assume just because they ended up getting the win, maybe nobody cares to go back and – figure that out with Joe, but sure. they, he he did have Hadavi come out to the mound at the end of his last inning there. They had kind of a lengthy conversation, Uh mm-hmm. and it wasn't really a moment where I, I I was expecting Tommy to head out there. So maybe they were talking about the heat. It, it certainly seemed that way. And whatever they talked about, we've seen him dial back and, and throw in the upper 90s towards the end of these starts sometimes. Yes. So it, it seemed, at least just from watching the game on, on TV, that he knew that was his last batter and he was pitching as such. So I'm going to guess the heat. I, there, there's We've seen Joe take you out and other pitchers before and after the game say that he wanted him to leave on a high note or be in line for the win or mm-hmm. anything like that. But... If I would be very surprised if that was Joe's logic today, I, you know, he's given up two hits. He's throwing a shutout. He's only at 83 pitches. So I'm going to assume it was just the heat. Uh, you know, you, you get up there in pitch count, you just get a little tired and they all agreed, let's just end it here. But maybe there's something more to it, but I would be very surprised if it was any kind of like, let's get him out feeling good kind of thing, because he was dealing. I mean, you, you got to let him keep going, especially since you used a, a lot of your higher-end relievers in that game on Monday, or Tuesday, yeah, I
0: mean. Exactly, and you've seen the confidence level in Darvish pretty much skyrocket over the past month or so. You saw that game he had in L.A. where people thought it could be just an utter disaster because everybody knows the story with L.A. He ended up going seven innings, one run. He had the start against the Pirates, like we mentioned. So the confidence level's there, and that's why I agree with you on that. My guess is either the Heat or Joe just said, look, we're up by two. We've only gotten two hits so far, which were two solo home runs. Let's create a little cushion, and pinch hitting Kyle Schwarber would hopefully generate a little more offense. And they did get some more runs later, but, but you know maybe that was the thinking there. So I, I pretty much agree with you on the fact that it probably wasn't the whole let's have him feel good type thing. I think we're kind of past that, yeah. wouldn't you say?
1: I would hope so. I mean, he certainly isn't pitching like that anymore, especially with these last two starts. Right. He's definitely not a guy that I'm looking at going, okay, let's you know give him a little momentum, get him feeling good, ride this moment. I, I don't think he needs that right now. I think right now you let him go and let him do his thing.
0: You know, one thing that I think is very important to mention, in his last seven starts, he's only walked six batters, and he's struck out 48 forty eight strikeouts to six walks you know play you gotta love that you gotta yeah and it was funny that.
1: after the game he he said he was surprised with that i i he's a funny guy he's he's pretty he honest when he does these interviews but yeah I, I just thought it was funny that he said i I think the paraphrasing is i in my whole career I walk a lot of guys, so in these last few starts I haven't and that's surprising <laughs> to me it's it's just sort of a funny thing to for him to say, but yeah, it's, it's obviously the key it's, it's, you know, he, his home run per fly ball rate has been a little high, but I think you'd expect that to come down a little bit and also you know we're living in this age where there's a lot more home runs being hit so you kind of just have to live with that but the command is what's killed him throughout his his cubs career right. and if he can rein that in even just a little bit in so many of these starts even last year when it, it, you know his performance was was not good the majority of the time he, there were a lot of starts where he would load up on the walks and go short or give up some runs, but he still never got hit that hard. And we're, we're right. still seeing that this year, a lot of starts where he doesn't give up a lot of hits, not that much hard contact, and a lot of swings and misses. So if he can get that, that command to stay where it is right now or anywhere close to it, it's pretty easy to start – letting your mind wander a little bit with what he might be able to do here going forward. And we've certainly gotten a glimpse of that in these last few starts here.
0: I think one of my biggest takeaways from Darvish the past month or so, maybe even before that, even when it was very up and down, I just feel like he hasn't had that outing like many times last year in his brief time last year before he got hurt, even though he had some not-so-good outings, we never saw that unbelievable, ugly disaster. Maybe the closest thing was opening day, his opening start, I should say. But he was also coming off an injury, so I didn't expect him to be as sharp. But you look at what happened last year, a lot of just utter disastrous innings, whether it was the first inning or the fifth inning, We haven't seen really that much of that this year, even though there have been some starts that haven't been very good. He's been able to wiggle out of trouble a lot more efficiently this year. And I think that was a big step for him just from a mental standpoint.
1: Yeah, and you got to love that last out from Puig, you know that gif is circulating around now. He was mm-hmm. pumped. And and you just got to love that for this guy because I think like with someone like Jason Hayward who we've kind of watched go through some struggles and now obviously seeing the, the, the hard work and sticking with it pay off. I think you has been one of those guys where he's been out there. He hasn't been complaining. He hasn't been sulking. He's trying to get out there. He he's always very honest in these post games about wanting to be better. And we saw it just in taking the the first start in the second half here where he went to Joe Madden and he said, I want the ball to start the second half. I have not done enough for this team. And I want to be the one that, starts us on the right path after, you know, ending that first half in not the best way for the last month or so he wanted the ball. And so to see him go out and do that, get his first Wrigley field W be proud of that. You know, they gave him the game ball after the game and stuff. It it's, it's a nice moment. And, and, and I think when we follow along with these guys and they do go through struggles, seeing him that pumped up and, and finally getting that Wrigley field W I I think it's, it's something that feels really good as a fan of this team.
0: Yeah, because, again, you mentioned kind of the confidence and being pumped up. We we didn't see any of that last year. I mean, last year, the Darvish we saw was a very, a very stiff kind of just blank Darvish, if that makes sense. I mean, wouldn't you kind of agree? Yeah. You didn't see a lot of the, I mean, I know there weren't a lot of great moments for him last year because he didn't pitch that much and then he got hurt, but. You didn't see much emotion. You didn't see the confidence he has now. And I just, I feel like last year he was coming off that world series. He wasn't feeling as comfortable in general. Now he is. And you're starting to see the results from that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And he said after that start in LA, that that was a real monkey off his back and, and just being Mm -hmm. able to kind of shake that, like I can pitch on this mound. I can kind of move past this moment. And It's one of those things that seems kind of like something out of a movie, right? Where like, is it that simple that he just needs to pitch well at Dodger Stadium and that's going to kind of get him more dialed in? And maybe it is uh, there, you know, maybe there is a little something to that. And now he's got this win at Wrigley. We don't have to talk about that anymore. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when, because it had sort of become a thing, right? And you saw it even today where once he leaves the game, all of us and all the beat writers and everybody are like, okay, he's lined up for the win like let's see what happens here like maybe the Cubs can get some more runs it becomes a thing so I think to have all of that kind of gone he can just focus on being a good pitcher and his numbers over like the last nine starts are are really good and and you just look at these last two and they're phenomenal so I think if he can keep riding this it's a huge thing for this Cubs rotation because I think with his performance last year you kind of forget that this guy with top of the rotation, top of the league stuff and potential is lurking in this rotation. And, and I think that when you start to see it, you're reminded a little bit of, OK, like they they do have a guy who can be lights out every single time. And it's you, Darvish. And, and we saw that uh, certainly on Wednesday afternoon.
0: If there's a guy in this rotation to miss bats, it's him because you have a guy like Kyle Hendricks who's gonna dot the corners and get some weak contact. You have a guy like Cole Hamels who can miss bats, but you know as, as he ages, you're not going to see maybe as good a strikeout numbers. John Lester's strikeout numbers aren't huge. He's kind of the mix of uh, swing and miss and contact. And Jose Quintana doesn't miss a lot of bats. He's definitely the guy that would lead a a staff in strikeouts in terms of pitching, uh, starting pitching, I should say. So, yeah, I mean, as long as he keeps it up, then he could be a huge difference maker going forward. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit and let's talk a little bit of offense. Because the offense against the Pirates looked like the offense we've wanted to see. You saw a little bit of everything. And you saw probably the biggest thing that we have been begging for for a long time, and that's hitting with runners in scoring position. And in that Pirates series, they did it flawlessly. I mean, they were awesome at it. I mean, what, What's kind of your thoughts on how the offense has adjusted? Do you think they're just fresher from the All-Star break? Do you think maybe they just said, hey, we need to be better, so we're going to be better? And what's your take on it? I
1: think the freshness certainly helps. Uh, they were in a long stretch prior to that break of, of playing every day. But mm-hmm. a- at the end of the day, everybody's playing a lot. So, And as we go forward in the season here, you, you're going to have to go through stretches like that again. So if that was the reason, well, you're going to have to figure that out at some point. But I, I think that the, the freshness helps. And I also think that there were just so many games where it, it was almost— impossibly bad in those situations, because you look at a lot of the numbers for some of these guys and granted, some of them are are going through slumps, you know, they, they, they haven't been hot all year, but, Overall, the numbers for a lot of these guys, I think like in a vacuum, you'd look at and say, I I think that they should be getting better results than this. And I will never not be confused, you know, going back to like that White Sox series before the break, I will never not be confused when this group doesn't hit someone like Ivan Nova. I don't get it. I I like really don't know. After torching Lucas Giolito. Right. I I. I it's just one of those baseball things that you kind of just have to say, okay, I am trying to make sense of this. I'm not really sure is is worth figuring out. But I, I think they look better, and as they continue to get such a resurgence season from Jason Hayward, Chris Bryant putting up numbers that, as of this moment, are better in a lot of respects than his career best numbers and his MVP season in 2016— I think that they were due to just perform better in general. I think that even if they struggle in some of those spots, they get on base so much. I believe Mm -hmm. they're at the top of the league and on base percentage that you, you just figure at some point sheer Babbitt luck would, would get them the runs that they need to win games. So they, they, they've got an inconsistent group. We know that at this point and, and a lot of players that are up and down pretty much the entire season. So you, you're going to have those moments, but I, I think that they ought to be at a better level than we were seeing for, you know, most of June and that beginning of July. And I think that, 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 that break and, and getting a little freshness. And I think, you know, kind of just starting to look inward and say, guys, that wasn't good enough. We heard that from pretty much every level of the organization, the players, yep. coaches, the front office. And, you know, starting with that Pirate Series and just saying, like, we need to dial in and we need to clean everything up. We need to be better uh, because that's just not the level that we're performing at. So I think it's a, it's a mixture of a lot of things. But in general, I just think that they're – they're better than what they were showing uh, prior to that All-Star break. I just think they, they ought to be getting better results, even if they're not running like a well-oiled machine.
0: What I really loved watching in that Pirates series, and I was there Saturday, so I saw the John Lester home run and RBI double off the wall, which was really awesome. What I really loved, it, it was so cool. Like, seeing John Lester home is one of the coolest things you'll ever see in person. Like, it really is, let me tell you. No got arguments for me. One day. <laughs> but what I loved was they did everything we've wanted them to do. Have good at bats, take your walks when they're there, obviously work deep counts no matter what the result is. And you saw a mixture of things. It wasn't all just scoring on a home run. It wasn't all just, oh, he's going to hit a ground ball, but there's a runner on third with less than two outs. So he'll score, you know, like on a little sacrifice ground out or whatever, you saw hits with runners in scoring position, you saw home runs, you saw runs being generated, a very nice mix. And I think we can all agree that that is what this team is capable of doing more often than not. Personally, some people will bring up them striking out. I really don't think strikeouts are a big problem with this group. I really don't. When I see them struggle, I see them hacking away without putting together really good at-bat and hitting a lot of grounders and pop flies. I don't know about you, but I really don't see strikeouts as a huge problem with this team. No, that's not
1: really where I tend to worry about it that much. Uh, I I think that you've got some guys that that K a lot in this lineup, and they're they're able to be successful. I I think it's just one of those things where sometimes for a team— Especially that gets on base at the at the clip that they do. you know that involves seeing a lot of pitches and staying in that approach, regardless of who you're facing. And sometimes how you're feeling. Like if, if you're a team that walks a lot, you're gonna have that patient approach. You're, you're going up there with a particular plan and you're gonna try to execute it. And, and sometimes that's gonna lead to strikeouts, and you've got some guys that hit a lot of bombs on this team, and that's also mm-hmm. gonna come with some strikeouts. And I think like Robel Garcia is a, a good example of why I, I don't tend to worry that much about strikeouts. Obviously, there's situations where a strikeout is, is not acceptable and you need a productive play. Appearance, But in general, you look at someone like Garcia, he K's a lot. There's a lot of at-bats where he goes up there and sometimes it's quick, right? Like he's Mm -hmm, just going to get disposed of very quickly, Mm -hmm. but you throw in a double here and there, a home run here and there. And you see the value that that has on the offense. You you saw that on Tuesday night with his two run home run to get the Cubs back in that game, kind of erase that deficit real quickly. And mm-hmm. if he strikes out a couple times after that, I'm fine with that. Like you need that offensive production. And sometimes there is a cost to that. It, it's, I think it's similar sort of to like when Chris Bryant first came in the league and because he's Chris Bryant, he was able to continually adjust this to lower his K rate. Uh, by over 10% from where he was as a rookie. But not everybody can do that, right? So sometimes you just have guys where if you want them to be successful and be doing good things out there, it's going to come with some strikeouts. It's just sort of a symptom of the, the game that the Cubs play at times. But strikeouts are, are not really where I'm directing uh, much of my, my fretting with the offense. I think sometimes you just got to deal with it.
0: I mean, especially now. This day and age, home runs are at an all time high strikeouts are at an all time high. It's it's just part of the game today. Right. It, it, that's really just the reality of it. You're seeing people strike out everywhere. It's it's a different game than it was 10 years ago. So, yeah, I definitely agree with you there. You mentioned Chris Bryant. Let's let's talk about him. 299, 408, 565. eight, five sixty five. That is his current slash. His OPS is nine seventy three. With 20 home runs, he hit his 20th today. I mean, what can you say about this guy? He's playing like Chris Bryant. And right now, like you said earlier, he's on pace to exceed some stats that he put up in 2016. He may not hit as many homers, but you look at the WRC+, you look at the war. I mean, it is all really good. I don't have the number in front of me, but I believe he's around a four war right now. By the end of the year, if he keeps this up, he's going to be right around where he was in his MVP year.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it is hard to it's hard to fathom that he seems to still be so underappreciated by a lot of his own fan base. And I don't really get it, but he's he's just. He's one of the best hitters in the league. I think if you called Chris Bryant one of the top five hitters in baseball, I don't think that that's something that should be getting any raised eyebrows at you, and I think it's something that you can look at a lot of data and back up. Since he came into the league in 2015, I think he's right around third or fourth in wins above replacement of all position players, Mm -hmm. and he is also just one of those guys who continually makes adjustments to get better. I already mentioned the K-rate, but you just look at someone who came into the league with a 30.6% K-rate, and in 2019, it's 19.1%. It's and huge
0: difference.
1: Huge difference. And, and for him, it was one of those things where in his rookie year, everybody talked, oh, well, this is kind of his... You know his main weakness and something he's going to have to fix, and he goes out and does it, and and manages to keep up this offensive production. And in 2019, we're seeing him get better. So, I, I there, there's really not too much else to say. I, like I there there's no hyperbole here. He's one of the best players in baseball, and you know he's not putting up a, a season necessarily like what Cody Bellinger's doing in Los Angeles. But Cody Bellinger's doing something totally insane, right? Yeah. So, you know, that's OK. Right. Like, you know, sometimes guys just go off. Right. And and that's sure. OK. But he's he's just putting up incredible numbers. We see him, you know, his, his willingness to move around the field to allow other guys into, in, in the lineup. He's making you know, he made a diving catch out and left today. And mm-hmm. his ability to move around and, and let Joe Madden capitalize on that flexibility is huge. And we saw uh, in this Red Series and that Pirate Series, he's an incredible base runner. He is someone yes. who just absolutely takes every extra base. He's like a gazelle out there, man. And it, it, that's, an, that's an underrated part of his game that, that I, I don't know gets as much attention as it should. But if there it is an opportunity— get a lot more.
0: I've been saying for years
1: if there's an opportunity to take that extra base he's going to take it and he's not someone that's going to steal bases but that's a a different part of of base running and so you just put it all together and like you said he's someone who's going to be near the top of those war leaderboards I think he's in the top uh five right now in the national league and he's seemingly getting pretty hot here uh with the home run ball and yeah like I don't I don't I don't think he's going to get to 39, which is what he did in 2016 for his career high. But, you know, maybe he just goes on a run here where he's just popping one every day. Uh, You know, you never know. But all told, he's an incredible player. He's an incredibly valuable player. And I think especially after the 2018 season where he's, you know, misses a little bit of time after getting hit in the head and then deals with the shoulder injury that obviously – affects his play for him to come back and and have this season I, I know it means a lot to him you know he wanted to come back and prove like hey I was hurt like I'm going to be this same guy again in 2019 and not only is he doing that but he's putting up a better season it's so you, you just have to love it and and love that he's on your team and in the middle of this Cubs lineup
0: in his last 30 games he has a on-base percentage of four sixty one and a slugging of six thirty six. So this isn't just like, oh, he's been hot the past week or so. He's been hot for quite a while. And you mentioned his base running. I want to get back to that. One of my favorite things to watch is him go first to third. And I'm a true believer that in this day and age, in this moment of baseball history, smart base running is more important than stealing bases. The name of the game is get on and slug. When you're moving smartly, That is how you generate runs, and that's what Chris Bryant does. I don't know if you remember, in 2017, there was a game against the Cardinals where the Cubs came back and won late at Wrigley Field. Bryant had tied the game with an RBI single, so he was on first with two outs. Rizzo dunks a little blooper into left center field. Bryant was running on the play, and he scored the go-ahead and winning run from first base. He does that kind of stuff more often than you realize. And you look at his UBR numbers, and they are very good. Chris Bryant gets a lot of attention for things that he does, but base running is something he deserves more attention for.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that when we've seen this offense go at its best, and this is, again, something that 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 we were already talking about, like a lot has been made about the Cubs hitting with runners in scoring position, and that's kind of a, a whole separate conversation, right? But mm-hmm. when you get on base as much as the Cubs, when we've seen this offense at its best, I think obviously you're, you're going to be going back to 2016 a lot, but this is something that they did relentlessly. It felt mm-hmm. like every time, whether you're talking about Bryant – And I think Baez, especially when you have these guys doing this, that is the key to making this offense go where if there is an extra base to be had and the defense is going to let them, they are going to take it. And it's why we think so highly of Javi Baez in particular, because there's so many occasions where he goes and takes that extra base. And mm-hmm. you're thinking, man, like th- that a lot. So many guys wouldn't do that, but if the defense gives him an inch, he takes it. And and yes. you see the the value in that. And and like the, the the game with the Cardinals you just mentioned, those things are huge. And especially when you're talking in the playoffs, every little thing matters. And when this team has been at its best, we've seen them execute this stuff better than anybody else. And so. Bryant is, is a key part of that. And I think that that's one of the things that this team is focusing on in this second half here is cleaning a lot of that stuff up, not making as many outs on the bases as we saw in the first half and getting back to being that group that isn't making those mistakes, but rather capitalizing on them from the defense's perspective.
0: Yeah, because one of the most frustrating things about this season so far as a whole is the lack of fundamentals, whether it's defensive or on the bases. I mean, they're one of the top teams in making outs on the bases, and it's not necessarily just like, oh, yeah, he tried to steal a base and he was thrown out. No, it was a lot of bad reads. It was a lot of just not being aware of what's going on when you're on the bases. I mean, that stuff that is fixable and it's stuff that they have been better at before. Look at Baez. It was in the game against the White Sox, so they beat Giolito the second time at Sox Park. Bryant hits a little blooper over toward Eloy Jimenez, and the sun is in Eloy Jimenez's eyes, and Javi knew that was going to drop, so he just kept running. It's very easy to look at that and hesitate and hold up, but Baez just took off, and he scored an easy run. Those little things make such a difference.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and again, like that's just when this team is at its best. And that's what we need to see them get back to. So it's 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 always fun watching Chris do his thing. And I it's it's one of those things where you you kind of don't realize it when you're watching him that he's such a good athlete and that he mm-hmm. has that speed, but but then you you see it and and obviously you're you're thrilled when he's taking those extra bases and, and putting him in those positions to score.
0: Let's shift gears to Anthony Rizzo a little bit, because that's another interesting topic. A lot of people have been talking about how Rizzo, oh, he hasn't hit a home run since June 15th in that comeback win against the Dodgers. But here's the thing. Over his last 15 games, he's slashing .339, .433, .500. In his last seven games, he's batting .440 with a .500 on base. To me, I see Anthony Rizzo sacrificing some power for some contact. I don't know about you, but you look at the way he's been swinging the bat. He's spraying the ball around a lot more, and you're seeing him do a lot more dips and dunks. You know, He's kind of just blooping the ball into the outfield, basically trying to just hit him where they're not. Because as we've all seen many times before, Anthony Rizzo is shifted on, and oftentimes he'll hit it hard, but the shift will get him. To me, it just looks like he's just trying to kind of play pepper with the fielders. Uh, I don't know if you see the same thing, but that's what I'm seeing.
1: Yeah, I mean, hard to say if it's something that he's doing intentionally, but I I do always wonder, like with guys like him and Schwarber in particular, like it's got to be so frustrating to make... Good, hard contact to that right side and have it routinely picked up, like by that guy playing in shallow right field. And we field. see
0: it so often. Yeah.
1: I mean, it, it's it's frustrating for us as fans when it's off the bat and you're like, ooh, a hit. And then you're like, oh, okay, there's a guy, you know, playing exactly. in wherever this guy's playing. Like, all right, anyway. So uh, it's definitely possible that you know that he's he's trying to find ways to put the ball where they're not. Obviously, he's a really good two strike hitter when he chokes up and and just goes for that contact there. But Rizzo is always just one of those guys, even when he gets off to a slow start, like we've seen him in some of these seasons. I never worry about him. Like he's never. just going to put up his numbers. He's going to do his thing, and yeah, it's 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 a little weird to not see him hit hit home runs as much and i i really hate it because i've been on this kick for a couple years now where he's hit 32 home runs three times in his career mm-hmm. and even though it's totally random and mostly useless i just want him to hit 33 so that he would have a new career high because it's just so weird that he's finished three seasons with the same number uh so him going through this stretch of not hitting one is really not helping that uh, th- that pace for him to do that but he's he's just one of those guys where i don't really even think about him as an offensive player we we go through kind of like Digging into a lot of these guys and what are they doing? What's going on with this slump or this hot streak? Rizzo's just somebody. He's in the lineup. I I don't even think twice about it. He'll he'll get his numbers. He you know Tony's going to eat right. It it in mm-hmm. so, in one way or another, Tony's going to eat, and it, it's fine with me if he if he's not hitting those home runs. I think we know they're going to come. And like you said, yeah, maybe he's he's working through just trying to make a little bit more contact, use the whole field. And, you know, then when he starts getting uh, some of those meatballs, he's going to put them into the seats. But he's he's going to do his thing. And I I don't really think twice about it.
0: If there's a cub that I worry about the least year in, year out, it's him. Yeah. There is no other cub that gets like as little of a worry for me at any point than him. And here's the thing about his power. I don't know if you agree with me or not, but this is just kind of one of my opinions. If Anthony Rizzo wanted to be like a 45 home run hitter with a lower on base and a lower average and some more strikeouts, he easily could. But I just think he chooses to mix in a little bit of everything. I don't know if you agree on that, but that's kind of how I feel about him. I definitely think that if he
1: wanted to sell out more, he, he's got the power. We've seen him hit some monster home runs and uh-huh. especially those, you know, big moonshot home runs where he ends up down on a knee. He could definitely, I think, sell out and and up the home run number at, at the cost of, as we were talking about, striking out more and, and maybe making some weaker contact at times. But he just has that, I, I, I think you're right about that. He, he has that patient approach and he's always thinking about what, type of contact and what type of of hitting he needs to be doing for the situation. And then that's, I, you know, I already brought up the two strike hitting, but he's a very smart player and he's someone who's always up there with a a particular game plan for the situation and the hitter. And I I think that's what makes him such a good all around hitter and why you and I both are saying that he's not someone we ever really worry about because you just know he, he has such a strong approach, such a, a good command of the strike zone and and his uh, abilities as a hitter that that's what makes him such a good well-rounded hitter and I think that where he is right now eventually the home runs will come but if he really wanted to I think you're right I think he could be selling out a little bit more uh, just for the sake of hitting home runs but I don't I don't think that's where his game is most valuable and certainly I don't think he does either.
0: Right, and I think he chooses his approach wisely. And you mentioned the two-strike hitting when he chokes up on the bat. I mean, that right there, you're naturally going to sacrifice a little power by choking up on the bat like he does. I mean, that's just one of the many reasons that he's as good as he is. And when you remember when he first came into the league, when he really struggled against lefties, and now he's one of the better hitters against lefties, again, it's amazing what a one-year adjustment can do. I just really want him to hit that 20th home run because he's just one away from it. And when he does it, he'll have seven straight seasons of 20 or more home runs as a cub. That's not something to take lightly. You look at a lot of the sluggers the cubs have had over the years, but even guys like Derek Lee and Aramis Ramirez, they didn't have a streak quite like that. Granted they could have, if they didn't have some injury riddled seasons if Derek Lee didn't break his wrist or if Aramis Ramirez didn't hurt his shoulder in 2009, but I still think it's a pretty cool accomplishment to have. And the other just really interesting thing about Rizzo is you got to remember, this guy's been around since 2012. He's just, he's so ingrained into this team. You feel like he's both been here forever or he's like, Oh yeah, you know, he's been our first baseman, a very good one for the past few years now. No, it's it's been a bit more than that. I just really want him to get that 20th home run so I can tweet that stat out. For some reason, I'm very much looking forward to tweeting that stat out. But that, that it's a pretty big accomplishment to do that. Um, one more thought I had on Rizzo. Even with the struggling defense over the past, really this whole season, With Rizzo, you're still seeing that platinum glove-esque defense. And sometimes it's something you don't really realize, whether it's getting to a ball or just making a nice pick on a like a a smash right to him or just an aware play. Do you remember Craig Kimbrell's first save as a Cub when he had to dive to get to first base? And the fact that he noticed right away that Kimbrell wasn't going to make it and he just dove forward and got it, there's more instincts than you think on a play like that because it happens so fast. I don't know about you, but I think his defense is as good as ever.
1: Yeah, he's phenomenal out there. And I think we've seen even in just these couple series out of the break here some amazing stretches uh, that's something that i i don't remember seeing as frequently in the past years i don't know if he's been uh you know getting into like arietta style pilates or anything like that but he's definitely stretching uh a, a good bit in these last couple series here and we always see him make those scoops he bails out a lot of these guys on a a pretty routine basis. And that's the type of stuff that, you know, you don't really see on a stat sheet. And he, he has gotten some, some recognition obviously for his glove work, but it still does kind of feel like he's a a little underrated in that regard. But I I think if you're watching these games every day, you know, that he's saving a a good bit of these throws and he's always, in a good position to make them, we, we saw, I I'm blanking on exactly which game it was, but I think it was over the weekend with the pirates where, you know, he, he moves to the other side of the, of the foul line to get it out of the way of the runner, but still makes the play manages to keep his foot on the base in, in that kind of huge spot for the Cubs. And he just always seems to be very solid over there. And, and you're right. Like the, the play with Kimbrell He's a smart guy. He's a smart player both at the plate and in the field. And and I think that his his presence in the field is is sort of similar to his presence in the lineup. He he's mm-hmm. a guy who just is going to get the job done. He he's a model of consistency. And he is just really good at, at baseball. Anthony Rizzo is really good at baseball. If, there, if there's anything I want uh, your listeners to take away from from me today uh, on, on this podcast, I think it's that I think Anthony Rizzo is really good at baseball. I know that's a hot take, but... Um, wow. Yeah. yeah you scorching. may get
0: some flack from that. Wow.
1: He's, he's just such a a consistent, good presence all over the diamond for the Chicago Cubs. And you're right, it it's 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 crazy to think about how long it's been at this point. it It, it sometimes doesn't feel that way. but he to to have someone be that consistent and that productive in all facets of the game including his relief pitching, right, we can't, can't forget about his, his ability to come in in a pinch when Joe needs him, uh, is extremely valuable. And, and obviously you, you look back at the trade that the Cubs make to acquire him and, and his co- the contract that he's on, but just an immense value to, to this organization. It's, it's hard to find, I think, a player that is more important to their particular team for, for this long uh, than Anthony Rizzo.
0: I agree totally, 100%. So we're going to switch a little bit, and we're going to play a little game. This game is very simple. I am going to give you a few names, uh, potential trade targets for the Cubs. They could be a pitcher, they could be a hitter, and I want you to say if you're into it or you're not and give a brief explanation why. So, for example, I'd say, and of course this isn't going to, be realistic, but I'd say Mike Trout, and you'd say, "Well, of course," and this is why. So that's pretty much the object of the game. And uh, yeah, I'll give you a few names, and uh, we'll see what you think. Because I think there is still a real desire to get another bat in the lineup. Obviously, the Martín Maldonado trade was for defense and filling a hole. There's really not much to say about that. And we'll get to that trade at the end of the show. That'll be our last topic of conversation. But let's just go into this game. So the first name I'm going to give you is Witten Merrifield. Yes or no? And is it possible? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm definitely interested.
1: It, it's that That is a move that, to me, is totally dependent on what the asking price is. Because I think you look at Merrifield and he is you know he's he's his age is a little concerning just in the sense that he's someone who relies a lot on his speed and mm-hmm. athleticism and you you never know when that stuff is is going to diminish and and how that affects his game on a whole but with him it, it's all about the contract right so you have someone that's under control for a few years for nothing i think he makes 4 million a year And for someone that is as productive as he can be, stealing a ton of bases, hitting for average, just an overall... You know, pretty clearly above league average hitter, you know, when looking at WRC plus, he's at 126 right now. Yeah, that's pretty good. 362 on base percentage, 507 slugging. And, you know, again, a lot of that is is coming from his speed, but he does have 12 home runs and he's already stolen 14 bases to 45 in 2018 for the Royals. So it's really easy to look at him and say, okay, a guy that's hitting 311 right now hit 304 last year and putting up all those other numbers around it, really easy to see how he fits into this Cubs lineup, right? Like, I, I don't think mm-hmm. I, I need to sell anybody on someone like that, especially as we hear, you know, from Theo and Jed when they go on the radio that they might be looking for someone to, to be their leadoff hitter and stuff like that. Like, it, it screams with Merrifield, right? But yeah. The problem is, is when you have someone that is under contract uh, until 2022 club option in 2023 for $4 million a year, that it's terrifying to think of what the cost of that is going to be. And again, when he's 30, I, I get scared uh, about it because I think you look at someone like Nico Horner and while they're not exactly the same player and wit is obviously doing this at the major league level. We've seen Nico rise through the ranks in the Cubs system pretty quickly. And I I think you can kind of envision him here maybe in September when the rosters expand, but certainly in 2020. So I think you'd have to be asking yourself like, okay, how much do we want to be giving up if we kind of think we have some young guys that, that may be able to fill some roles here for this team soon. So it just depends what the Royals want. I, I, uh, he's going to be connected to them until the deadline's over or until sure. he gets moved to another team. Cause it just makes so much sense. And if you can get someone on that contract, it changes everything really when you look at the outlook of this team, we're, we're heading into a time where we have to maybe extend some of these guys and, and guys are going to, you know, like Chris Bryant, like we talked about going to be very expensive. And if you can get someone with Merrifield's production for a few years for $4 million, that kind of, changes what you're able to do in other areas so it's very enticing I would love it it just depends on what the cost is and I at at this moment I don't know what the Royals are going to ask so I I would be surprised if the Cubs swing that deal but you never know with Theo right
0: right exactly the next guy I'm going to ask you about hasn't really been talked about as much among fans but it's something that I've kind of been intrigued by an idea Neil Walker He's having a very solid season with the Marlins. Veteran guy, pretty reliable at second base, good bat. It would solidify a second base, which has been very up and down. I know there's a lot of factors that go into it, but what would you say to a Neil Walker-type deal, which would probably be a lot more affordable?
1: Yeah, much more affordable. He's a free agent at the end of the year. I'd, I'd be fine with it. I I, I think that he's kind of in the, in that lower end of your, you're just looking for someone who can play probably in, you know, a particular split, uh, hitting against righties and just give you uh, an, an above league average bat And, and I, I, I keep using that kind of phrase just because at the moment, the Cubs employ several guys who are not performing at a league average level. And I, and I think that that's, that there's kind of two ways to look at what they may do at the deadline, right? Like you can go for someone like Merrifield who has the potential to add a really dynamic, big element to this offense, or you can just say, you know what? We just need to kind of like strengthen up the edges of this group here and and not necessarily have a bench that is routinely filled with a few guys that just aren't performing on a consistent offensive level. So I think that, that guys like Walker, are are definitely interesting because the price is going to be a lot lower and you can just get somebody in that has that experience and who you can kind of maybe look at as as a reliable option to just say okay we're going to use him in these certain lineups he's going to give us this production and it doesn't have to be exciting but it's better than what we have right now
0: nicholas castellanos
1: i'm into it uh i'm into that one just because i think he's another one that may end up a little cheaper uh, given his contract status not a good fielder but a- again just one of those guys who you look at his offensive numbers for the last couple of years and i think you envision getting that pop into this lineup and i like it i, I think that we we already have as the roster is currently constructed A few guys who you can look at and say, okay, this guy is primarily a glove-first option. We can get ourselves into a strong defensive position if we're trying to protect a one-to-nothing lead or we're in a playoff game and we want to shut down the game, right, turn it over to the bullpen— and just put out the best defense that we can. They already have those guys, right? Yes. So what, what they need is the opposite of that, I think. I, you, you'd you like them to be better fielders than Castellanos, but, y- you know, beggars can't be choosers. So I, I think that's what they need, is, is just guys where you, you don't have to ask a lot of questions. They're just going to produce on offense, and that's it. And I think Castellanos is one of those guys. And again, similar to Walker, free agent after the year. So I... I you know, think he may be able to be pried from the Tigers for not a particularly exciting haul or or one that we're all lamenting in a few years like we do with some of these other trades that we've seen in, in the mid seasons.
0: I'd agree with you on that. Definitely. Somebody mentioned on Twitter today the prospect of going after a Corey Dickerson. Now, my personal feelings on him are if he were a primary center fielder, I'd be more tempted, but he's a left fielder. And I just, I don't know if I'd want to add another. If if Schwarber is going to stay where he is, I feel like Corey Dickerson would be more valuable in center field. And you have a guy like Albert Almora come in for defense, because let's face it, Albert Almora's bat has been really not good this year. And Corey Dickerson would give you a very solid one, but he's primarily, primarily a left fielder. What are your thoughts on him?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's that's a tough thing to figure out, and I think it's it's kind of you know something that would come up with Castellanos too, where Hayward, for whatever reason, and and maybe it's just smaller samples, who knows? But he just doesn't rate as well defensively in, in center field, and there are times where even just visually, some of the balls over his head. He just doesn't look as comfortable. And and you compare right. that to right field where you're like, okay, yeah, this guy's one of, if not the best right fielders in the league. He makes every play. He looks so comfortable out there. And sometimes in center field, it just doesn't look like that because it's not the position that he's always played and, and you know, has the most of that experience in. So it would be interesting to see what they did with, uh, you know, any outfielder that they got as it related to that and kind of like that everyday playing time. I, I'm always maybe concerned isn't the right word, but but the you know an interdivision trade. I I would wonder if the pirates would you know maybe have a higher asking price uh, as it related to the Cubs than somebody else. But again, I I, I think that there is there there and you know Merrifield is is kind of in that other tier. But I think the the tier that Dickerson finds himself in is, again, kind of just those guys where we just need somebody to give us reliable production on offense. And and I think that whichever of those guys that you can get for a cost that you're comfortable with. I think that's where the Cubs are going to end up going. We, we've heard them just – it's its its not going to be a coincidence when you hear Theo, Jed, and these guys going on the radio and doing these interviews and routinely saying that they want to add position player depth. When they right. say it the first time, you listen. When they say it the second, third, and fourth time, you say, okay, they're like they're going to go and look out and try to add position player depth. And I think – guys like dickerson, Castellanos, and some of these other names are the e- are going to be the easiest to acquire and and sort of fill that need w- without getting too crazy here but i you know you never know what theo's going to pull right i i've i've learned not to necessarily try to try to figure him out uh in
0: advance right exactly and the other thing that i think people have to keep in mind is The core itself, as long as it's healthy, is good enough to win a World Series. You just need the supporting cast around it. And the supporting cast hasn't really been there this year. I think one of the biggest problems with the team so far is that the depth has not been doing its job. We've seen Russell struggle despite a home run today. We've seen Daniel Descalso be one of the worst hitters in all of baseball. I mean, John Lester's stats are much more impressive than his which is you know not not something you really want to see necessarily. There's a lot of factors that go into this. Obviously, your farm system not being as stacked as it once was prohibits you from making a blockbuster. Because I I don't know about you, but I really don't see them trading Elzeli or Nico Horner.
1: Yeah, I I don't think so. I would be surprised if they if they pulled uh, a big move like that, but. I it 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 sort of changes right like when we were heading into that break that they were not playing well and I think I was more in the camp of okay I think that they're gonna add on the fringes and just sort of see what this group can do right but you know they come out in the second half they kind of remind you of who they are they they look a lot tighter cleaner and just better overall and so you just never know if Theo's going to get a little crazy here, but I also think that we're at kind of a critical decision point with some of these guys. You, you know, you brought up El and he's just one of those guys where you got to kind of decide what you're doing with him, yeah. right? Because he he's not succeeding in these limited roles, and I I I know that the the, the main argument from his supporters, not that I'm a, a detractor, but I'm I'm not championing for him to be in the lineup every day. Quite the opposite.
0: Not anymore. And, no.
1: Yeah, and so I think the the problem you find yourself in is you kind of got to pick a lane, right? Like, I I don't think you can justify right now saying, okay, we want to get him going. We're going to play him every day because he's got a 680 OPS, right? You you can't do that. So you kind of have to pick a lane where you're like, okay, well, do we envision this guy being the center fielder of the future? Do we envision him being a bench bat defensive sub what exactly are we doing here? And I, and I do think that some of those decisions inform how you're looking at, you know, in, in particular, a lot of the names you brought up are outfielders. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to have a plan here for, okay, Schwarber's playing almost every day. Hayward is in this resurgent offensive season. He's playing every day, no questions asked.
0: As he should.
1: Right. You, you kind of got to pick a lane with some of these guys and say, okay, are we comfortable if they're a bench bat and definitely not getting regular playing time? Or do we feel like that's not going to be a productive role for them and maybe we need to move on and trade them somewhere where they can be in that role or just get to a point where we're comfortable saying this is what their role is going to be and that's it. But when you're looking at at options like this, there's only so many positions on this Cubs team where you can make changes. So with that comes, I think you kind of have to start getting honest with some of these guys. You know, and Ian Happ is one of those guys too where we, we've we seen the Cubs have these position kind of clogged situations before and you got to kind of pick a direction one way or the other. At some point we we've seen them try to work some of these guys in for a couple of years now. And sometimes it's worked, sometimes it hasn't, but as you, you get going here toward the end of Uh, let's call it the first part of this window, right? When someone like KB and Rizzo and Javi, when their contracts are up, you got to kind of start planning for the future here. You can't always just be looking at, okay, well, what do we want to do for 2019 kind of got to be thinking long-term and saying like, okay, well, if we make this move, what does it mean for this guy? What does it mean for this guy? So it'll be, it's all to say, it'll be very interesting. And I think telling in a lot of ways to see how the Cubs address this roster At this deadline.
0: Yeah, I think those are all very good points. So to transition to our last topic of this show, we were kind of, you were mentioning how they had to make a decision on some of these guys or they're going to have to. They clearly made one already on Mike Montgomery as he was traded to the Royals for Martin Maldonado. I think there's no secret that he wanted to start and that just wasn't in the wings for him with Chicago. I really don't think Mike Montgomery was fully healthy, but when he was struggling the way he was in a non-defined role, it was clearly obvious to me that his time here was just done. Wouldn't you say
1: I, I think it's just something that had to happen. I, I know that, that you know some people may look and say, okay, Montgomery's under contract for a couple years. Maybe you could have packaged him in a bigger deal or gotten more than a, a backup catcher, but... I, to me, I didn't even really think about that, honestly, because this just seemed like the natural conclusion to this. He has made it pretty clear that he wanted to be a starter. We've heard him ask for a trade in the past. And then Jesse Rogers, when this Maldonado thing went down, pointed out that he did confirm that even at the beginning of this season, he asked for a trade. So, and Mm -hmm. I, as far as I can remember, that's not the first time that that has come out publicly. So you have a guy who's not performing in the role that you have for him. And I think that, you know, we knew that Alec Mills was getting that start prior to Montgomery being traded. Right. So he's not getting those starts. The organization just doesn't see him in the same light that other organizations may see him and certainly that Montgomery saw himself because they gave those opportunities to other people. We saw al get a couple starts. We've seen Chatwood get some starts. And we saw Alec Mills get the one on Tuesday night. So clearly Montgomery was not high in that pecking order. He has not been good against lefties out of the bullpen. He hasn't been good in general. Oh,
0: that's been disastrous. A disaster.
1: And why Joe is insistent on that particular matchup. I will never understand, but
0: it was like trying to fit like a square peg in a round hole, basically.
1: Exactly. Like just so determined to, to stick to this uh, handedness split, but like, it's just not working, man, please stop doing that. Right. So
0: it drove me crazy. I got to tell you.
1: Yeah. And so I just think this was the natural conclusion and already he's starting for the Royals on Friday, I think. So I think everybody gets what they want. And, The Cubs went out and they get someone who's at the top of the list in a particular category. And sometimes that's not cheap. And, you know, Wilson and Vic both do really good things uh, at the plate and behind the plate. But they're not as good of framers and receivers as Maldonado is. And they're Mm -hmm. able to get that. And I don't know exactly what their plan is going forward. We're going to have to see. Obviously, Vic's still getting playing time. Is that a showcase? Do they envision him being a flexible kind of platoon bench player? It's hard to say, right? You've kind of gotten mixed vibes from, I think, Theo and Joe when they were talking about it. But
0: I don't think they know yet, to be honest.
1: Yeah, I I think it honestly, I can see Caratini maybe being a piece in some of these deals may just depend on if teams are interested or or what exactly they want to do. But I, you know, we've also seen this team carry three catchers, not, not just once in the past. So we, we've seen a a few different groups of catchers. You look at Montero, Ross and Contreras back in 2016. And then obviously you had, uh, Avila, Rene Rivera and Contreras in 2017, all the years Mm -hmm. kind of blend together at, at times, but, uh, yeah, 2017. So not the first time something Joe likes to do, you know, uh, some of these pitchers work better with different catchers. And I, I think that the production that you've gotten from Vic as a, as a bat has been a nice surprise. So it's definitely yes. possible that, you know, they envision him playing that role, but as far as this trade goes, just kind of seems like something that is, is the best for all parties involved. The, the Cubs did not have the right role for Montgomery. He was not succeeding in the one that they did have for him. And, you, you get him out. And we, we also heard, and, and Jesse Rogers went into this a little bit on uh, the ESPN 1000 podcast. or Maybe it was just a segment from ESPN 1000, but either way. And, you know, he talked about that. In the locker room, the the group had kind of gotten the vibe, as we all did, because he made it pretty clear that Montgomery wanted to be a starter, that he didn't want to be a reliever mm-hmm. and that that wasn't really sitting that well with, with people. And, you know, he didn't say that there was fighting or, or anything serious, but that, you know, the, the the tone around the situation wasn't great. And Probably obviously discomfort,
0: that's comfort, I would say.
1: Yeah. And and I think, you know, Jesse in, in his spot there on the radio, put it simply as for a lot of these guys, it's either you're all in for the cause, which is winning games for the Chicago Cubs and winning a championship, or you're not. It, it's a binary issue. It's a one or a zero. Right. And yep. I think to a lot of the guys, it seemed like Mike was a zero in that regard because he wanted to be playing a different role and he wasn't succeeding in the opportunities that he was getting. So I think it's just best for all parties. I think it goes without saying that no one is ever going to forget Mike Montgomery in as a Chicago Cubs fan or in the city of Chicago. He will always have a place there. He will always be revered for that moment uh, in November 2016. And I think that's fine. I think we can bid him farewell. Good luck. And just say it's not the right situation here anymore.
0: I mean, I have no hard feelings towards the guy. I totally understand him wanting to be a starter. I totally get it. And, you know, I said weeks ago that it was best for the Cubs to move on from him, and it was best for him to move on from the Cubs. The Royals may be a terrible baseball team that's going to lose 100 games, but you know what? He's going to start when he goes every five days. He's going to have no pressure on him whatsoever. I mean, there's no pressure in Kansas City when you're going to be a 100-game loser and there's barely a third of the crowd in the stands that fills up the place. So it's going to be good for him. I truly believe that. And I really hope he goes out there and shoves. And one thing I just I don't want to hear is if Mike Montgomery starts doing well, I don't really want to hear that, oh, the Cubs never should have traded him. Because you know what? Like Tommy LaStella, even though I do think it was a mistake to get rid of him in the end— Tommy LaStella wouldn't be hitting all the home runs that he's hitting in Los Angeles here because he wouldn't be an everyday player. And here, Mike Montgomery would not be starting every five days or getting a definitive role. Sometimes a player's performance is just based on the role and the environment, and it wasn't going to work here. And the other thing about Martín Maldonado is, okay, he's not going to hit, but what veteran backup catcher really does hit well? I mean, David Ross wasn't exactly Ty Cobb at the plate. Right. And Martin Maldonado has 75 defensive runs saved in his career. That's pretty good. Yeah, and
1: again, it's just not not a specific asset that the Cubs had. And, and I think it's also important to remember, especially in 2019, that that, that – waiver deadline isn't there anymore. So you kind of have to evaluate your needs right now because that trade deadline at the end of this month is a hard deadline. And and you may not be able to predict your needs as well as, as as you may have in the past. And I think that they were, you know, Theo said they were already kind of having these conversations and you've got Wilson with a foot thing and it, it sounds fine. It sounds like something that they got in front of and they're going to be proactive about, but if he ends up having some lingering effects of that, you know, and you find yourself in August or September, you can call up Taylor Davis, sure, but I- I'm not really sure that's a great solution. And you don't I'd have much the much ability-
0: Maldonado than Davis. Frankly.
1: Absolutely. And and so I think that's the logic where you're just like, look, we we're not gonna have the ability to deal with this, if this is something that lingers or we just want to give Wilson some extra time off, whatever it is, we kind of have to address this now. So I, I and you know, look, like I think having someone that is as solid back there as Maldonado, we've seen Wilson get out in the outfield. He can play that just fine. I, I think it just gives you more flexibility from a roster standpoint. Again, if we're talking like these playoff games and, and big moments down the stretch where you say we want the best defense offense whatever you want to do whatever type of lineup joe wants to put out there i think getting those guys that allow him to be flexible with that is always a good thing it, it and like you said the, the role wasn't there for montgomery i'm totally with you if he is amazing in kansas city great good for him there's some of these guys where you can regret trading and you can say man like the cubs could use a guy like this absolutely but Guys like Lestella, Vogelbach is a, is another one in Seattle and Montgomery. Maybe it's in there, but it's not going to come out with the Cubs. It just isn't right. Like Dan Vogelbach's, Vogelbach's not a DH. playing.
0: Where was he going to play?
1: Right, he's not playing first base over Anthony Rizzo. It's not going to happen ever. No. So there's no point in in thinking about this. Lestella was on the team for years. He never got that consistent playing time. Right. Like, did you want him playing second base over Javi Baez at times? I don't think so. So that wasn't going to happen. And I think that Montgomery is in a similar spot. He's gotten a couple shots at it. It's been okay. It's been pretty good at times. But Mm -hmm. it's just clear that that is not where the organization sees it. And he's just better suited somewhere else. So if he's killing it for the Kansas City Royals, that is definitely not going to be something that I'm going to be losing sleep over uh so but i i wish him the best and i and i think that this is hopefully just a trade sometimes these trades just work out for everybody there's not a winner there's not a loser everybody gets what they need and the the players and teams are better off for it
0: absolutely well we are out of time on this week's episode of climbing the ivy Corey. i want to thank you so much for coming on the show tonight can you tell our listeners where they could find your work yeah, man, I appreciate it.
1: It was it was fun. Always good to talk Cubs baseball. And yeah, I'm uh, I write a little bit at CubsInsider.com, but not really. I'm I'm more just the social media person there. Uh, so I guess you can see my tweets at RealCubsInsiders, the handle. And then, uh, like you said, uh, to start the show, I co-host the Cubs Related Podcast, and we do that twice a week. So if you want to hear more of my wonderful voice, you can certainly find it there. But I appreciate you having me on Uh, again. It was a lot of fun, and we'll have to do it again soon.
0: Absolutely. Just a reminder, you could check out the show on iTunes.com. You could also check out Cubby's Crib and all the writing there at Cubby's Crib.com. Until next week, he's Corey, I'm Alex, have a great night.